Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sestrino back with our Amazing Race recap for week number three of the Amazing Race 32, where the Amazing Racers revisited my old stomping grounds back in the Amazon rainforest. And here to break it down all with me is an amazing team of panelists here to talk about it all. Of course, first, our chief Amazing Race correspondent, Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? I'm great, Rob, but I'm really perplexed about I, you know, I was given to understand that when you film a reality show in the Amazon, yes. you have to you have to go bobbing for meat and um, with your hands tied behind your back. And there was none of that this episode. Well, Jess, they were sleeping on a boat. I think we're going to have a second part of the race uh, next week, I think, in the Amazon. Is the boat going to be anchored or are they taking them to a different place overnight? Hmm. Good question. We'll find out. Also with us here today, a person who is a master of all of many talents. I was I thought I was going somewhere with this, but I just ended up uh, <laughs> like uh, like the Amazing Racers, just having a, a screw up here. Here is the great Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? Good. I'll take the compliment without the joke. Listen, I'm I'm flattered. I'm I'm here to talk about a fantastic episode. I'm gonna raise the roof, or is it a wall? I don't know, but I'm so pumped to talk about this episode. This this was just 60 minutes of just like absolute of absolute havoc and mayhem. And we all know that's something I love on reality television. So I was in a candy store. So yeah. is 60 Minutes a shout out to the fact that Amazing Race used to air after 60 Minutes and like your lead in was always Andy Rooney? <laughs> they always find it interesting that, yeah, I, I was like, all right, I have to, I can't wait you for Amazing Race. You ever notice that's a pit stop? Why do they call it the pit stop? Is it because <laughs> they the why pits? Are, why are machetes wooden nowadays? Back in my day, they were made of steel. <laughs> Remember the yield? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, we are way off the amazing race path uh, within in record time here today. So this should be a fun one to talk about. Just this was my takeaway from last night's episode of the Amazing Race, where that you know we talk about a lot about you know the the teams really firing on all cylinders. Is it possible that this is a year in which uh, that all the Amazing Race teams maybe could be average to below average like are are there not really standouts in this season well it's interesting rob because i think if you ask the racers they would beg to differ on that one uh, i don't mean I it think, as an insult to the racers no, but i'm just saying I know, that you don't even even the 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 best of the best that they have they have struggled many times uh this season so i wonder is this going to be one of the more train wrecky amazing race seasons i'm you know, I'm of two minds on this, Rob, because on one on one hand, God, I hope so, because that sounds glorious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, the way that they are going about making this happen is a little bit iffy from mm-hmm. a ethical perspective, because I think what we're seeing here is not necessarily worse racers in general. Like, I think they all do equally well on the do push ups or eat bread task. But. I think we know that there hasn't been a pit stop yet. We are three legs in and nobody's gotten to sleep in a hotel. Mm -hmm. They've been, you know, in three different countries in like five days. 
I think what we're seeing is killer fatigue on an unprecedented level at an early point in the race. And Mm -hmm. I'm of two minds on that because, one, it makes for some entertaining screw ups, as we're going to discuss in detail, I'm sure. But on the other hand, let the poor people sleep. Like, <laughs> don't bug them on the boat. Like, don't wake them up until we are definitely at the next destination and give them some like comfy blankies. <laughs> yeah, I guess my thesis is, is this the NFC East season? Oh, of, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure how that was going to go over uh, of the amazing well, we race. We saw the Survivor parody. So I think <laughs> at least that like holds for everyone, right? We're casting a wide net here. But that also, I mean, to speak to your point, like I think, from a humanistic perspective, to agree with Jess, it, it is a, a little tough. There's a certain threshold of like watching people struggle. And so that might get to a point where it's like, man, I really feel bad for these people. On the other hand, I kind of love that everyone's screwing up because now you don't have like a Dave and Rachel or a Tyler and Corey who just excels at nearly everything and makes things boring. I tweeted it. This is one of my favorite episodes of The Amazing Race I've watched in a good while because it was all over the place. In my opinion, a good episode of The Amazing Race is one where positions just swap so frequently that at 8.25, you can't guess who's going to be eliminated at 9 o'clock. And even though Jerry and Frank struggled for a good portion of that leg, there was just so much going on between inter-team drama and intra-team drama that it honestly flew by like a motorboat down the Amazon River. Yeah, they actually don't move that fast, I feel like. I mean, listen, I guess it, I think it depends on how many times you forgot your bag and had to go back and go back for the poor boat driver, especially like James and Will, who's like, OK, we're good this time. Wait, we forgot our fish. It's like, you know, when you're uh, on going on a road trip and you have that one family member who's like, all right, I'm ready to go, except I need to go to the bathroom. So can you let me back into the house before we do so? And it's just you have like several false starts before actually getting to the damn place. Yeah. Well, I'm a little sympathetic to that because I feel like that's me before every podcast. <laughs> It's like every Zoom meeting when um, you're about at the end of the Zoom meeting and they're like, "Okay, well, if that's everything, if we don't have any more questions, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, everybody. for." And then someone's like, I have a question. And you're like, I hate hate that person. Exactly. One more thing. We were in Columbia last week. So, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Uh, So Jerry and Frank eliminated it. I lose my first team in uh, the draft. Uh, Jerry and Frank seem like, uh, you know, a nice family. Uh, Ultimately, that they didn't bring uh, a ton of excitement to the amazing race. Sad to see them go nonetheless. You have to love a team that's having that much fun out there. Like yeah. you can tell that they were really, they really appreciated and valued the experience. And I think there's something to be said for that. And again, this is a cast of regular people, which we haven't had in a while. So I, I'm for it. And also, if Dan Heaton's team sticks around a little bit longer, that's just that much longer that we can dunk on him for his terrible picks. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of dunking, uh, you know, the, it's interesting going into this season. I think a uh, chief complaint people had was like, OK, this seems like a fun cast, but why are there three teams of athletes on this season? And for what it's worth, two of those athletic teams have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. So I think it goes to show that like, hey, physical prowess can only get you so far in the amazing race, especially to Jess's previous point. If circumstances just absolutely drive you into a corner of pure exhaustion that you've never experienced before. Yeah. And Jerry and Frank, we will hear from them on the tar pit for this week. Uh, We recorded our exit interview with Jerry and Frank. Be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, you can check out Mike's interview with Jerry and Frank over on Parade.com.
Yeah, so lots of intel from Jerry and Frank. Seems like, surprise, surprise, even more mistakes were made uh, off camera, albeit some of them from Jerry and Frank's perspective. Apparently some of them from, like, the task judges perspective, which we might be able to get into. But yeah, if you want even more intel as to, like, the literal hot mess that this leg was, be sure to check that out. And also some very wise words from the great Jerry Eves about why he feels every amazing race leg should be two hours, taking a, a bit of a cop copping hot take from the survivor fandom as to extending the length of episodes. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get into talking about this episode where the teams went to Manaus and we started off this episode with Jess. I was confused that they had the, some sort of like product placement sponsorship. Was it Travelocity of here's an here's a phone and then you're going to book your flights. And then it also seemed like that everybody is on the same flight. Yeah, I don't know why they had to highlight the fact that everybody was on the same flight if they wanted to <laughs> maintain the illusion that they were all booking their <laughs> they own flight. their seat on the app. Yeah, maybe it's like, okay, here's the app. I want you to book this particular flight. Did like they maybe- check in on the phone? <laughs> See, that's, you know, that's those are things that you could have highlighted. And I liked that they all, you know, they, they seemed genuinely enthusiastic about it. And Volley Bros were like, yeah, I've used this app before. It's great. Mm-hmm. OK, I mean, it's really hard to fade enthusiasm for something if you have to pretend to sell something just because they're sponsoring you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's Travelocity. Is that still is that still it? Yeah, yeah, the, except- the, we, yeah, we, yeah, we have yet to see a gnome. I mean, God help us if they had to also remember to bring a gnome with them this leg. I think that <laughs> might have been the breaking point. So I guess it's yeah. a blessing in disguise. But who knows? We might see a gnome. We've seen a gnome pop up as recently as I can't remember if he was in it last season. I know he was in season 30. Uh, so I think let, let's keep an eye out for the Travelocity roaming gnome this season. OK, keep yeah, an eye I, out. I miss those. I miss those commercials where Phil and the gnome are just chilling. No, instead, Phil's talking about the royal wedding. <laughs> Yeah, we need to talk about that. <laughs> okay. That, uh, let me know when we get there, because I watched the episode on CBS All Access. They did not have that segment. Oh, on. I mean, we can talk about it. I mean, it was sort of, it was at the first commercial break, because we talked about this in the Tar Pits in week one, about how Phil has been doing consumer cellular commercials. And we thought it was going to be like moments throughout the history of The Amazing Race. In fact, we did a draft about it. But this week's consumer cellular commercial was about the Kate and William royal wedding from a while back and why that was like an inspirational moment but mike don't you remember when kate and william ran the amazing race i tend to forget that season Uh, i thought it was kate and pippa ran together they were the sotherby sisters Mm -hmm. can you give us the context for those of us who uh did not get to see this spot there was none it was Phil mm. Kogan <laughs> saying, like, I, uh, there are great moments throughout history. Kate and William d- had a beautiful, iconic wedding several now, years ago. In fairness, was that in 2018 when that happened? Like, was that, did they record these, like, in the moment? No, this was like, not the Meghan Markle wedding, which hmm. was the more, uh, the more pertinent one. This was the, the royal wedding that took place in the early 2010s. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> uh, how do they come up with this? I don't know. Now I'm intrigued to like, maybe it's sort of like, you know how in 2019, everyone's like, oh, best of the decade list. I wonder if they were doing that for Consumer Cellular. Of, Let's take some best moments from the 2010s and schlep them out. It just so happens that Phil led off deceivingly with one of the most viral moments of The Amazing Race that we were led to believe that it would be moments throughout the history of The Amazing Race, not moments throughout history period in general hmm. well, 
I'm going to have to see more of these in order to make my final call on what this really was. But here, you know what? I actually have it queued up. I went back to my uh, DVR and I could play it. Okay, this is coming out of the first commercial break for The Amazing Race. The power of connection is what makes the world go around. And sometimes one amazing story will bring people together. In 2011, the world watched a real-life fairy tale as first heir to the throne, Prince William married college sweetheart Kate Middleton at Westminster Abbey. Sponsored by Consumer Cellular. Celebrating 25 years of connecting people. <laughs> okay. Phil does not sound excited to read that. I mean, okay, to- now- to be fair, there were, there were very now. little events in the 2010s that brought people together. So I think like you only have a couple to choose between. It's like, yeah, sure. Everyone liked the royal wedding. Let's mm-hmm. bring that up. Yeah. But now I have more questions. So are we are we are we now being led to believe that two of the most iconic moments in world history of the 2010s <laughs> are the royal wedding and Claire taking a watermelon <laughs> to the face? This is the family feud. We're working our way down the list. So like. You know, Obama getting elected and yeah. watermelon to the face. I can't wait for next week when it's WAP is a connecting <laughs> moment for consumer <laughs> cellular. Wow. Yeah. I, I have the a phrase feeling, macaroni like, in a pot <laughs> was used. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I don't know what's going on here. The, the, I'm, I'm sh- maybe, maybe we can get somebody from consumer cellular on there to talk about their 25 years of connecting people. I will give it this. It's giving me a lot of ideas for the tar pits. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So uh, our teams were going to head to Manaus, but there is still a little business to untangle from last week. Will and James, they did not like what happened when Leo and Alana gave some ad- some helpful advice to Kaylin and Haley and just I'm not exactly sure what what was the problem. Um, I think the problem was, and, and I think we got so much more of this this episode. Than I think we've ever gotten in an Amazing Race episode, at least not in yeah. recent seasons. But it was kind of like they they felt like that level of help was less about helping another team than it was about like dooming it the other teams that were there. Mm-hmm. And I think. We're going to see a lot more of this this season. This is going to be a very alliance heavy thing. And yeah. we had heard, especially from our conversations with Kelly and LaVon and just from looking at Twitter, that that there were kind of two factions. There was the the five teams that were out in front in the bus last episode. And then there were the other five teams and they'd kind of decided to work together based on who was in the bus. And you do see this scene of Will and James kind of cementing that they're like, okay, last episode we talked about this on the bus, but or I guess it was a van. It was a damn van guys. Yeah. Oh no. Everything happens in the damn van. And so they, they said, you know, we, we kind of talked this out in the van, but we just want to come to you and say that uh, we really are working together. Let's make it a fish. And, I think I think this was sort of like, yeah, how dare these other people form this alliance that we're not in and, you know, work together against us. Yeah, Mike, it was a little bit almost like it seems like something that would happen like in Big Brother where it's like, hey, we yeah. have our group of that. Like, we put together all the people that are going to win all the competitions and we're going to go to the end. We're going to be the final 10 uh, or the, the, the final top groups of five. And now that what's this other group? They're trying to have a an alliance of all the people at the back of the pack. We're going to shut that down. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, are, are they saying they're mad at the floaters for grabbing a life raft? <laughs> Potentially. Yeah, this, the spirit of Rachel Riley comes alive for the second season in a row. It, it reminds me a lot of actually like Big Brother 6 or Big Brother OTT, where it was like one group was forming, the other group's like, well, I guess in response, I guess we should work together. But yeah, it's pretty bananas to me that we got more strategy and gameplay out of one episode of the amazing race that we probably got out of one month of big brother 22 mm-hmm. if we're being completely honest but you know we were wondering last season with the u-turn vote and the u-turn drama like okay is this going to become a future thing on the race or is it just brought about by the fact that these are previous reality tv contestants and granted i think part of this was pushed forward by big two reality tv contestants themselves in will and james but i was surprised at not only the amount of strategic content but the fact that we have a coalition of five teams. Jess, it really feels like not since the days of like the backpack from season 10, have we had like a real multi-team alliance wanting to work together. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we saw a little bit of it in 21 with the twenties kind of making this pact to U-turn the teams behind them. And you see them like outlining the actual strategy of the U-turn um, to was that the twenties? That was the twenties. Yeah, that was the twenties. The twenties Beekmans. Yeah. 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 And they they outlined like how they were going to deploy the U turn against the people that were not in their alliance. Mm-hmm. So I think but I think that was the last time we've really seen it solidified. And, you know, from talking to Corey last week, we know that every season it happens. It's just it's an interesting choice to make it the center of the story. Mm-hmm. That just do you feel like is this a smart strategic play from Will and James to sort of really like cement this group of hey like we're the we're the top five teams let's make sure we're always the top five teams. Well, yes and no. I think I don't think you should ever be the instigator of this kind of thing because that puts the pressure on you to uphold it and to protect it. But if someone comes to you and says, "Hey, we're say working yes. together," yeah. you always say yes. And well, we know this from Survivor. Right. But I think Iswar brought up a great point, though, in this episode about how when you're at the front of the pack, it absolutely incentivizes you to work together because at best, it's going to extend your lead. At worst, you'll just be on the same level as the other teams. I think the true test of this coalition is going to come in if and when a few teams from this group end up in the bottom, in the back of the pack. Are they still going to work together? And that's where you get like you know, the Volley Bros in particular seem like the most vocal. I mean, they were the ones I feel like that really helped establish that alliance. And they were the ones that were really rallying the troops of like, all right, everyone, make sure you have your bags. Oh, Gary and D'Angelo, your leaves are backwards. And I wonder if, again, going back to that season 10 example, Jess, if we're going to are they going to become the Cho brothers? Uh, another pair mm. of brothers. Are they going to become the people that almost end up falling on their sword or their machete because they're too much about helping the other teams and having them succeed as a group that they fail as individuals. Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. And I think it's going to also be very interesting if one of these teams goes out early and then it's like four teams from that alliance and then one other team. And is that going to be good viewing? Because it's going to really feel like they have ganged up on this on the other like non-alliance team, which I think you saw a fair amount of in season 10 as well. It And it's but it's, on the other hand, if you have these five teams that are they feel like they're the best teams and they just, you know, run a steamroller over the other teams and then the final five is those five teams. How is that entertaining television? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, when we saw the well, first when we knew that the U-turn board was coming, 
And we saw James and Will talk about Aaliyah and Alana. I mean, we all put two and two together immediately, right? That we knew exactly not only that what that they would be u-turn but like what direction it was going who it was coming from that at least one of those u-turn spots would be filled by leo and alana getting u-turned by james and will i think we knew that Mm -hmm. that seemed pretty obvious there's also the fact that um we saw leo and alana doing the cooking task first and then the previews showed them like losing their minds over the over the roofing task it's very astute jess yeah well you know Survivor taught me to read the edit, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk about our teams as they head to Manaus. Of course, uh, this is uh, the place where we went and played in Survivor, the Amazon. I did not see anybody that I recognized from my time uh, way back when. <laughs> you didn't recognize that blur? No, I didn't recognize any of the blur or uh, any of the <laughs> aboriginals uh, who uh, inhabit the Amazon well, rainforest I, 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 that I, I can't knew. Remember. Did, did you guys do a cultural visit in that season? I can't remember. So they had a lot of people who were sort of like around, like they would have them like, uh, you know, like in a rowboat or stuff like that. And so they, they were sort of there. But, you know, I, I don't know necessarily like I wasn't on the production. I don't know necessarily, uh, you know, where those people actually came from or how those people you know get involved with the survivor production well they they were you know you were shooting it in their backyard basically yeah so yeah so i don't know i don't know exactly uh how how that all works i I had my own stuff to worry about way back then (laughs) that's that's true Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so so did you actually go to manaus so like that must have been your yeah that was so that uh, just the in terms of like the uh route that we took to get there so we went from miami to sao paulo and then sao paulo to manaus so that was where uh where we landed but then we went like by boat from manaus to uh i don't know necessarily like uh you know we're we're all like in the bottom of like some boat we're not like you know like doing a lot of sightseeing I wonder if you had played Survivor in 2020, would have, would have you been able to book your flight via Travelocity and they'd like film you actually swiping to do so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be perfect if uh, they could get they get that. But basically, if they could film a Survivor anywhere in 2020, we'd be very happy. Yeah, they might as well film it on a boat in the middle of the Amazon <laughs> River for season 41. Survivor on a boat. Mike, this is a billion dollar idea. Listen, it's going to be you're out at sea international water so anything could go like as long as you have enough supplies on hand everyone's gonna stay quarantined this is like what i envisioned for pirate master yeah (laughs) i mean this is keith nails like uh heaven right like survivor is not fun a cruise is fun survivor on a cruise probably pretty fun yeah i'd be right back i'm gonna fire up illustrator i'm already gonna be working on the logo (laughs) okay so this task of find the 11 items and bring them back to the checker. Uh, I cannot recall an amazing race task that I had saw more teams struggle with. Jess, is there any way I feel like that the amazing race loves sending teams into local market, find all of the items. Is there any way to prep for this before you go? Because it comes up at least twice every single season. Well, I think you could probably fake something like that, like send your partner to the grocery store with a long mm-hmm. list of arcane things. I don't know. Maybe you watch a lot of supermarket sweep. Well, I was going to say, like, farmer's I've, been, market. I've, been watching, I've been watching the new version. I think, uh, was it uh, Manaus Market Mayhem should be the, the next Brazilian import. <laughs> Who's that with Leslie suite. Jones? Yeah. Is Leslie Jones? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's sublime. I love it personally. I've heard great things. She's, um, she's great. 
Yeah, but honestly, you should at least be prepared to be confronted with this because pretty much every season they're going to send you to a market and pretty much every major city has one of these markets. This is going back to season one. They had a task like this. I think it was in China and they had to purchase all these different weird, weird to them creatures that they then had to deep fry and eat. Mm. And ever since then, you've had so many different iterations of this that anybody that is studying to go on the amazing race should at least be familiar with the idea and have a plan for the concept. Mm hmm. Right. And I, w- I would say, though, I think, you know, the thing that I think really tripped them up was probably that the stalls were not listed in numerical order. Like that seemed to be the thing. And Gary and D'Angelo sort of explained it. That was the thing that really probably got a lot of teams hung up is the fact that, you know, fish is at 35, but the machete is at 41. But the machete comes first on the list. So on paper, you think initially, OK, let me just go in order and see where I can find it. But because you are literally backtracking, going every which way in this market, you can't plan out that route. Whereas to Jess's point, I think that is the, obviously the, the way to go about in this challenge is plan the most efficient route. When things are so out of the way in comparison to other items, it just makes for you intersecting with so many different people and so many different things. It's true. And I think the, I think the thing that made this the easiest was, If you have two people doing this task in tandem and trying to find all the things on a list, that is going to be much harder than if you have 10 people with the same list all trying to find the same things. And that is I've never seen that many teams working together on that level before. And it was really helpful to all of them. I I think none of them working by themselves would have gotten done in twice as much time. Yeah, and I think they, they really benefited from the fact that, save for Leo and Alana, the top six teams were five of those mine teams, the the damn mm-hmm. van team. They're like, oh, we just happened to get great taxes again. Perfect. Let's work together. I do wonder if it was a more of a mixture, if it was like Jerry and Frank with the Volley Bros and Leo and Alana and Hung and Chi. Do the Volley Bros like pull Hung and Chi aside and say like, okay, let's just work together? Are they going to say, oh no, we'll all you know, share stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, I think they got a little lucky that this ended up being the, the, the configuration of teams that ended yeah, up at the top once more. Cause I mean, what are they even going to say? Like, sorry, Leo and Alana, we're busy shopping. We're not shopping with you. All 10 of us are shopping together. Will and James would have said that. Will and James would have said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, other teams are working together too. Like Jerry and Frank following Michelle and Victoria onto a dock, mm-hmm. thinking that that's where the market is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, they, they were working together. They just weren't working well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine if these teams weren't working together and collaborating, imagine how much they would have had problems with this leg. Yeah, I think the only other good strategy that I've seen pay off here, and it might be that the show discourages this nowadays, is find a local who speaks English and knows the area oh, and right. have that local do the shopping for you. The a Robin fern. Amber tactic. Yes. Get a fern. <laughs> OK, um, so uh, you mentioned uh, Michelle and Victoria. They they had a, a big episode uh, this week, <laughs> Michelle and Victoria. They were uh, a disaster. Yes. Uh, you here, better have the you better have an audio drop of Horty Fruity Horty Fruity Horty Fruity. Oh no, I, I don't have I don't have that. I was gonna I was gonna oh, play man. this. Yeah, serious when I okay. got my hair in a bun. No matter how sweaty I get, it's still gonna look good. Yeah. Wow, there's been so much so many bun heads on CBS reality <laughs> as of late. Yeah. What what was Horty Fruity? 
they were looking for one of the buildings uh, in the market that they needed to find the market stall in was called Horty Fruity. And there was a scene where they were just running down the street yelling, Horty Fruity, Horty Fruity, Horty Fruity, isn't, isn't that a over Kato, and over. Isn't that a Cato Kalen quote, Rob? <laughs> no, I think that's that's, slight, that's slightly different. I don't know if we it's need to punish You sure he wasn't saying Horty Fruity? Horty Colin Fully. If Michelle and Victoria had run down the street saying that, I don't think it would have put them in a worse position. Is that's all I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. So the teams are just all over the place and trying to find find their uh, different items that they need to purchase, and uh, just just so many a comedy of errors with the teams not finding their things, going to the checker, the checker saying they don't have them, then they're going back, and then uh, we didn't get into all the teams leaving without their bag. Oh my god. Yeah, well, I think there were kind of two different tiers of screwing up this task. And some people screwed up one half of it and some people screwed up both halves. Almost nobody screwed up nothing. In fact, I think everybody screwed up at least one half of it. Um, and there were just there were the the shopping peculiarities like you had. Um, you had a lot of people buying only one pair of gloves mm. because the clue said two gloves and they bought two gloves instead of two pairs of gloves. Um, I think I have to agree with the teams. Uh, Two gloves is not two pairs of gloves. Yeah, but do you think they sub gloves singularly in in Brazil? Baseball gloves, you buy one. Yeah, you you buy a batting glove. Or mm-hmm. imagine they just get, all right, here's your machete, here's your fruit peelings, and here's your baseball glove. You know, Michael Jackson is still pretty big in Brazil, even mm-hmm. if he's gotten canceled everywhere else. So maybe there's a Michael Jackson story, buy one glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of showing up and realizing there was something on your list that you hadn't bought. But then what I think, what I think the biggest problem was, and the thing that we, I think are... It, our respective interviews with Jerry and Frank kind of support this. Uh, Mike's, which you can probably read right now on Parade.com and Rob's and mine, which will drop with the tar pits, um, is that when people needed to go back and get something, they just left all their stuff there. And then the task judge would either move it aside so he could count somebody else's stuff or in Jerry and Frank's case, packed it up himself and didn't necessarily go down the list to make sure everybody had all their stuff. So then that's why you want to bag your own groceries. Always bag your own groceries. This this guy got fired from being a bag boy uh, (laughs) as soon as, as soon as this ended. Well, not only on top of that, you also have teams coming back and either accidentally or on purpose, taking other items from other teams bags that were Mm -hmm. left behind, which is interesting because I think in other perspectives, we've seen this in previous seasons that that's actually incurred a penalty sometimes of like, oh, you took this team's car or you took this team's uh, props for a task. You get a penalty for it. Maybe it just happened so much that the the, the Amazing Race producers were like, let's just shrug it off. Otherwise, everyone's going to get penalties here. Like, give them a break. It's been a long day. Yeah. Well, it also seemed like you couldn't necessarily you couldn't necessarily gauge whose fault was whose. Like if someone Mm -hmm. drops their thing in front of you and you pick it up, that is, you know, that's more culpable than if. Yeah, if, if if there's a big pile of things and some of the things are yours and you can't necessarily distinguish your things from the other things, I think that's harder to incur a penalty. Yeah. Jess, you told us before we came on to record today that you had a list of all of the transgressions <laughs> made by these teams on this leg of the race. 
Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go down the list and I probably am missing one. And I know there's going to be listeners out there that can help us make a more complete list. But I had 11 things. Yes. 11 things. The same amount of things as the shopping list that the teams needed to put together. Yeah. One thing for every item on the shopping list. But sometimes people made the same mistake. And I, you know, in that case, you got to be mad at them for not being more creative with their mistakes. All right. So we have the Volley Bros only bought one pair of gloves. Ishwara Parna also only brought one bought one pair of gloves. Hung and Chi forgot to bring their stuff with them onto the boat. Will and James forgot to bring their machete with them onto the boat, and it winds up in the bag of the Volley Bros. Uh, Will and James forgot to bring their fish onto the boat. Kaylin and Haley forgot to bring all of their groceries. And Ishwara and Parna forgot their agoma, which is like a little bag of flour. I was going to say, like, Rob, why are you not playing this after every single infraction, much like the episode? <laughs> whoever whoever makes royalties for those sound effects is like, can take royalties. You mean like the kids. people that Phil talked about that got married? <laughs> yeah, really connecting everyone through the, the bank account. But yeah, I mean, we heard that sound, I think, no less than maybe 13 times over the course of one minute, considering we got a quick sequence of every one of these teams making some sort of mistake. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely the the cowbell's moment to shine. But I, I wish we could get that a little bit more isolated, so we could just play it like the opposite of the bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll see. I keep trying to find a cleaner version of it, but uh, that's what we have right now. Well, Rob, you have a source of about twenty five different opportunities in the episode to find a clean take. Okay. So, see, if I worked for social media for CBS. I would 100% have released an Amazing Race soundboard app where you could just like play different fully bits that the Amazing Race uses over and over. You'd have that. You'd have the gong. Yeah, you have Yeah, so there's like a whole collection of them and I want someone to make this app. I will pay money for it. Okay. Lots of mistakes. Yeah, lots of mistakes. Um, D'Angelo and Gary forget their stuff going to the boat. Someone else takes Hung and Cheese scarf slash hammock thing. Michelle and Victoria forget their stuff. Jerry and Frank forget their stuff. Jerry and Frank buy the wrong kind of machete. They buy a fake <laughs> one instead machete. of a real one. Yeah. I love yes. it. It's like it's if Jerry and Frank were putting on like Survivor Amazon the stage play and they had to get a wooden machete instead of a real one for the actor's mm-hmm. safety. You practice with the wooden one. Is this yeah. like a, a thing you bring home to your kids after you travel to the Amazon on business? Yes. It really is like a Renaissance Fair thing, right? Like, I definitely have some wooden daggers that, yes. that I would bring home from the Renaissance Actually, Fair. Actually, you could get the wooden machete, and then I know a guy who can just sharpen that wooden machete to the point where it's just as good as a real one. <laughs> and then another guy that will hoard <laughs> that wooden machete. And then burn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the, the crazy thing was, and this is again not even the 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 length of the mistakes that will happen for the rest of the episode. But what Jess read out all happened in the course of five minutes of airtime. Mm-hmm. Like it just kept flashing between the teams, making all of these mistakes. That it was truly whiplash. And then on top of that, you also have besides the grocery stuff, Hug and She and Gary and D'Angelo nearly hop on a random boat, <laughs> thinking it's theirs. <laughs> Yeah, and so do Kaylin and Haley and Leo and Alana at a certain point. They're just getting on a ferry with a whole bunch of other people, and they're like, oh, wait, this isn't right. And I kind of wish one of them had actually had the ferry take off. <laughs> we need to go back. We're not supposed to be here. Exactly. And then uh, it turns into a freighter all of a sudden, and then uh, Michael Emerson shows or not Michael Emerson, Harold Perrineau shows up as the, mysteri- as the pit stop greeter. Mm. I, I don't know whose boat that was. It was definitely not Penny's. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, that uh, not Chief uh, Penny, uh, who was yeah, not Chief Pinion's boat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this was an interesting piece of trivia that Phil puts out when they first meet the Amazonian tribe. He points out that 10% of the Amazonian tribes that live in the area have never had contact with the outside world. And for a second, I'm like, that's a weird thing to say before we introduce ourselves to this tribe. I really think first contact should not be you contacting them for your show. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, we're going to we're going to invite a bunch of Americans here to build your houses and cook you food that might be improperly prepared. How does that sound? Yeah, well, I think it was more like they rocked up to the village and are like, hey, we want to film some stuff here for our show. And they're like, well, all right, but we get to pick what you're doing and we need a new roof on our house. So you're going to do that. And then. You know, they probably you feel like that, that the much. Uh, native Amazonians thought this was like an HGTV show where basically <laughs> that they were like yeah, going to get exactly. some sort of like home renovation. I mean, to the point where I asked people last night, OK, <laughs> if they're coming to your house, what tasks are you making them do on the detour? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a new HGTV show. Roof it or hoof it. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly like somebody suggested this could be a great way to film a tough as nail season. Especially in pandemic times, just have everybody move into a flipper house and all I think of the say tasks every day. Amazon Village. Yeah, I was going to say well, that. Like, that might be the opposite of ideal during Corona yeah, times. No, that's not good during Corona times. But just have everybody move into a flipper house somewhere in the valley, and uh, every single toughest nails task is like fixing up some aspect of the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe everybody has their own home that they need to be working on the whole season. Yeah, this is going to be a weird season of CBS reality TV where it's Survivor on a riverboat and then followed by Tough as Nails at nine where they're put this time they're putting in the pipes for the plumbing. There's Savage House and Dirty House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get into talking about our detour shelter from trees or well done, please. But first, let me take a moment. And thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at KiwiCo. And we saw how much fun the Amazing Racers were having uh, building a roof in uh, their village. And that is exactly the kind of fun projects you could be having with the special young people in your life with KiwiCo, the holidays, they're going to look a little different this year, uh, but this is a season of giving and it's in full swing. Listen closely. If you have children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, little cousins on your holiday list, it's impossible to uh, get these kids to put down their uh, cell phone or video games sometimes and not even when they're trying to book their own uh, flights to go somewhere, uh, do something that's not involving screen time, but... With KiwiCo, it is possible because KiwiCo delivers hands-on science and art projects for kids of all ages. Everything you need to spark curiosity and uh, kindle creative thinking while not using a Kindle. While uh, that's what makes KiwiCo such a perfect gift. Uh, With KiwiCo, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling chemistry experiments, and more all from the comfort of home. Uh, Jess, I, I know that George is a uh, big fan of the KiwiCo boxes. Yeah, George is definitely a STEM kid. And he he and I had so much fun putting together a crane that you could use to pick things up and lower them. He designed his own fishing game around the thing. It wasn't even in the manual. And so it was really great that not only did you have this thing where Ooh. building it was an activity, and then there were activities you could do with it. And then it just sort of inspired him to create his own thing as well. And, 
it was lessons about physics. It was lessons about engineering and really shocked me how much he learned from this and how much fun we had with it. Yeah, so my- unlike Amazing Race teams, uh, instruction's not needed when it comes to having fun with KiwiCo. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying like, thanks to KiwiCo, when George and I enter the Amazing Race in 15 years as Motherboy 2.0, <laughs> we are going <laughs> to yeah. rock it and he is going to build that wall all by himself. Right. And there are easy to follow instructions, so you don't hear a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, my kids have built solar systems and cranes and uh, all sorts of uh, different inventions with lasers. Uh, They love the KiwiCo boxes uh, whenever they show up to the house. Uh, Your child can get super cool hands-on science, art, geography projects delivered to their door every month. And while they might not be able to go fun places for the holidays, you can give them a whoa awesome experience with KiwiCo and unboxing a crate feels just as exciting as receiving it. Your child will put together this project and then have hours of enjoyment playing with it as well. With different crates for kids of all ages, there's something for every kid on your list. Start a new holiday tradition with KiwiCo. There's no commitment. You can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects to build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. And there's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the promo code RHAP at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code RHAP. All right. Uh, Back to our favorite Kiwi, talking about Phil and everything going on (laughs) with the amazing race. And uh, I did like the the rhyme here of uh, shelter from trees or well done, please. I feel like it was kind of a stretch. Like, I, I think there's got to be a better, shorter thing they could what have done. What would you have but, done? Could you have come up with a better one? Uh, I Well, I don't work for Amazing Race, mm. but if I was being paid, I would. Mm-hmm. How about build or skilled? Like, mm-hmm. are you skilled in cooking? I'm, I'm confused by the phrase shelter from trees, because I could realize that, like, you get the shelter from the trees, but it also implies, like, we're sheltering away from the trees. Like mm-hmm. the trees are dangerous in the rainforest. So we need to build a shelter so we can protect ourselves from the trees, the true menace yeah, of the Amazon. It's, it's a good point, Mike. The The preposition from in this instance really leaves it ambiguous as to what is the actual danger. Mm-hmm. I got it. Hut or cut. There you go. <laughs> Boom. Although you do cut in both of the things, like you cut food or you cut bamboo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that being said, no, I feel like so this was the first detour of the season. It's been a while since we've had it. I actually think it was fairly balanced. I think at first glance you would think, okay, this is the big buff strong task versus the like more skilled intricate task. But actually the hardest physical part, I think, of the building the hut part was just carrying the fronds there. Otherwise, it was actually as dexterous as the cooking when it came to tying everything on. So I think... You know, there's a reason why it ended up being a pretty even split across both teams is because it wasn't so overwhelmingly weighted in one direction. Yeah, it was kind of like make your your detour options were make this thing that looks like this other thing or make this thing that looks like this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we started off with uh, Chief Pinon, who had to get you the clue. I, I did think this was a little cheap that. The you like a chief pinon is just gonna hit your clue with a blow dart. I, I kind of thought that the teams would need to blow a dart and get their clue. I mean, 
these people are not gerrymanthy. We don't know how good they are with blow darts. Uh, and plus, I mean, that, also that pole was extremely long. Chipinho might as well have poked it out of a tree <laughs> instead of just spitting the blow dart at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to see uh, eventually every team start to uh, show up. And it was kind of a uh, even split between uh, the cooking task and the building task. Uh, we see Will and James and uh, Kaylin and Haley hung in chi. Leo and Alana, they're all going to opt for going to uh, cook first. Which makes a lot of sense. I think if you're looking at those two tasks and you're thinking about, like, what are my strengths? I I think these are the teams we're going to see at the cooking task. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be honest. Look, I do not want to shame the cuisine of a culture whatsoever to sound obtuse. I will say it's not particularly appealing to me to have to like juice potatoes and offer that up as a meal but you know what i'm willing to try it if it indeed is a delicacy i don't think that was i don't they weren't potatoes it was it was manioc wasn't it and rob knows all about mm-hmm. manioc yeah i know all about it so uh, yeah but I, I we that's not how i would prepare it no you didn't have well you didn't have a squeezing thing you would have had to do that manually <laughs> yeah uh they did not seem like that you know we have some of these task judges like are are very like particular just seemed like that the chef in the uh amazonian kitchen seemed very generous i don't think we saw anybody get rejected yeah it's it's true i think it was mostly if you put the right ingredients in the right thing yeah and you didn't get your flour all over the inside of the pan mm-hmm. you got a pass whereas there were a lot more particular points on the on the roof task where you had to have every single piece alternating you had to have them tied onto each one of the beams there were a deceptive amount of details on that one yeah i mean i would venture to say that i think it was just show to have them try the final product i think they were more so looking at like are you preparing it correctly like i don't even know the final i know that michelle was very worried about the fact that there was no seasoning available that mm-hmm. there was no salt but I think the the taste test was merely just a facade of like, okay, let's actually pay attention to if they're doing things correctly while they're actually yeah. cooking. Yeah, that was more like if your soup has the juice that you bought and the piece of fish and the peppers, okay, you pass that one. If your cakes have, uh, you know, a certain amount of orange peels on them, okay, you pass that one. It was the test, the taste test thing was entirely for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because we also know that the task judge is not the person that's actually judging. And we even, I don't know if you caught this, Rob, Jerry and Frank broke the fourth wall on this a little bit when he yeah, said- Yeah, what did they do? Well, they said that the task judge at the shopping task um, looked over at the producer and the producer was like, no, they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And this is how every task goes on Amazing Race. You do yeah. your task and then there's a producer off camera and the task judge says to the producer, is that OK? And the producer says yes or no. Mm-hmm. So there's not a local that's tasked with adjudicating everything. Their local is there for show. We saw on the other side of the detour uh, that we saw first uh, the uh, volleyball bros, uh, Riley and Madison, uh, they were working there. They felt like that they had a pretty good understanding of what they uh, needed to do, uh, so much so that when we saw Gary and D'Angelo show up again, being very helpful, teaching them exactly what they need to do to keep that alliance of five strong. Yeah. Uh, also, I will say... There was a lot of stuff going on in this episode, but I did enjoy one of the many things I enjoyed, the Gary and D'Angelo runner 
uh, between them like spatting with each other at the market, talking about them being alpha bros. Then, of course, the whole wall visit yeah. versus Ruth. I, actually, I have that clip. Here's uh, yeah, Gary and D'Angelo. Like it's out of a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, this was great. Gary and D'Angelo talking about uh, did they build a roof or a wall? Over here, over here, over here. We had to uh, build a wall for a house. That's not what it was. That's exactly what it was. It was not what it was. On, it look. was a roof. The roof isn't this high. Yes, it but, was. Okay. It was the. There's it was a, a demonstration of a roof. The whole building was all going to be the same thing. No, it wasn't. Yeah, here. but it's fine. You really look bad. I'm just, it's facts. <laughs> it's facts. Yeah, it's I think facts. I'm with D'Angelo. I think it's a roof. Yeah, I think that I think what Gary was confused with was because of the level of things. Like he thought it was going to be okay, we are building the wall because it is down on the ground. Whereas D'Angelo was pointing out, no, we're building a roof. It's just that the roof has been significantly lowered. We are not perched on top of a ladder building the roof as if it were actually on a house. Yeah, this is something that I have a little bit of experience in, in terms of uh, you are building a shelter from the rain. And that's the way that you want to do it, where it needs to be on that kind of an angle. If you have any chance of preventing the water from coming through, which with those uh, palm fronds uh, as the only shielding between the water, like good luck yeah i'm surprised there was not a lot of weaving right rob isn't that the, the main survivor to do is to weave the paw from not just seemingly like put them all in an array and lay them down in one uh direction look i'm not going to quibble with the amazonians that uh perhaps in other locales around the world maybe you do want to weave the palm fronds but if they're saying do it this way then i'm not going to question it yeah, and it doesn't really matter what works or not. You just want to do the task the way they told you to, so you can move on. In my experience, nothing works. <laughs> no matter what you do. All right, Rob, well, you're the expert. Yeah, well, you know, when yeah. it's going to rain, it's going to rain. You're going to get wet. The other thing that really came out of, well, there's a lot of stuff that came out of this uh, this roofing task or walling task. Uh, the Leo and Alana stuff, we can, we can obviously get into. You know, we talked a lot about Purple, Aparna, and Iswar, in the past couple of weeks, but we actually got a taste of like their dynamic of them sort of spitting at each other, uh, working on it, where clearly they're like, well, coding is definitely not like building a roof. That mm-hmm. metaphor is out the window. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Uh, you wouldn't think the coding would be anything like building a roof. It really seems to be like they, for every task, for every team, they have, the producers ask them, okay, relate this to the thing that defines you in your real life Mm -hmm. so there is for every task there is a there's a clip of riley and madison saying well this is you know building a roof is nothing like playing beach volleyball Mm -hmm. and there's a clip of gary and d'angelo saying well building a roof is nothing like playing in the nfl and for leo and alana it's building a roof is nothing like having a master's degree from harvard Mm -hmm. (laughs) um or in poetry I will note, though, you could tell they're still using those pre-race confessionals, uh, yep. which I find really interesting. Because, again, we're still introducing these teams. You can tell when they're standing in front of a verdant forest that is clearly not a rainforest, you know that it is pre-race. And so we got that here with Aparna and Iswar talking about, you know, we, we live in separate cities. So we're using this as an opportunity to, like, basically hang out with each other. And apparently this is not the best situation to hang out in. Well, we would see a bunch of teams continuing to go back and forth also over the uh, people that had forgotten their bags. Uh, You know, we started with uh, Gary and D'Angelo got out there. Uh, We would see Michelle and Victoria make that uh, have to double back. Jerry and Frank did it, too. And just my question was that if a team got to the detour, since you only needed the stuff for one half of the detour, could you have just not gone back and gotten the stuff? 
It's a good question. I think, but I think, I think you probably could have for at least one half of it, but I mm-hmm. think you could not have done the, the cooking certainly, detour. Certainly. Mm. And, and Frank uh, seemed to imply this in our exit interview, although they did get double U-turned and they ultimately needed to complete both sides of the task. I just wonder, even if you could complete one half of the task without the stuff, if the clue said to have the stuff, would there yeah. be a penalty for not taking oh. the stuff? Yeah, absolutely. There would have been. If people get penalized for not bringing their gnome along, you better believe they're not. They're going to penalize by leaving all those 11 items strewn along the, the shore as they take off in their boat. Yeah, I mean, that's littering. They probably, <laughs> get, probably get fined yeah, you for left that. Your, you left your wooden machete on the beach, Jerry. That's 30 minutes <laughs> off your time. Yeah. <laughs> no littering. OK, um, let's go to Michelle and Victoria who now we talked about way back when in the first episode of the season and we did the tar pits that we talked about how Michelle is a big fan of uh, the world famous chef uh, Wolfgang Puck maybe even uh, potentially Emeril Lagasse uh, last week on the podcast and so we know Michelle loves to cook but uh, there was a little bit of a kitchen nightmare that was uh, taking place between her and Victoria in the Amazonian kitchen. Here's Michelle and Victoria. Oh, yeah. I can't think of anything better than a cooking challenge because I'm all about it. They don't trust me with knives. First off, uh, Jess, why don't they trust Michelle with a knife? I mean, would you? (laughs) Michelle is definitely the more hot-headed one. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get in the kitchen. They're like, okay, Michelle, you can use the wooden knife to chop the potatoes. That's good. That's good. Okay. Um, but things end up having a bit of a problem uh, about around the juice that was needed here. I'm ninja in the kitchen. No, 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 no. The juice. You need to save it. You need to save the juice. You need to save the juice. Small bowl. You did not tell me that Victoria. at all. Okay, listen to me now. You didn't say that in- at okay, all. Now do it now. You got to take the stick, Victoria, and pull it down. I know, bitch. Victoria? Michelle was just freaking out and just yelling at me, like snapping. Put the bowl down there. She was just a boss bitch the entire time. And like, I hated that. Oh my God. Why didn't you tell me from the get-go that we needed the juice? Can we talk about the music there? Yes. The horror movie music. Like, oh my God, not the juice. It's it's like they're about to, like, when they juice something, are they also murdering it? Yeah, I mean, it's from that new Jordan Peele film, right? Boss Bitch Juice. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, you like the juice? Uh, I like the juice. I don't like the podcast to end, but I like the juice. (laughs) Jess, you like the juice? Oh, I like the juice. I don't like the juice strewn all about the the ground, though. I like it in the bowl, personally. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, what was going on with the juice? What was the juice coming out of in this well, so Willy Wonka-type com- contraption? Yeah, it was coming out of the, the, the funnel, like we were talking about before, the juicer. But the problem was, I guess Victoria didn't realize that they were collecting the juice, so she didn't put any sort of contraption to collect the juice into. So it just ended up sort of spilling on the ground. And so Michelle interrupted her to be like, no, put the bowl down there. We actually need that stuff. What are you doing? You're wasting precious mm-hmm. juice. <laughs> okay. Um, w turn came into play here, Jess. And this was surprising. I would love to get your take on this because Will and James, we know that they were hot about Leo and Alana and how they had saved Kaylin and Haley. They didn't like that. So here they are in first place 
And they use double U-turn on Leo and Alana. Jess, uh, your reaction? Well, I have a couple of thoughts on this. So buckle up. Um, This is going to be a controversial thing because I really saw a lot of Twitter comments about this. Mm -hmm. Um, People thinking that this was a dumb move, that they need to save their U-turn, that they were in first place. They weren't in any danger. And also, what did Leo and Alana ever do to them personally? And this is actually straight out of the jail rules. Interesting. Because, yeah, it is. This is interesting because Lil and James are thinking about what team could I U-turn that ensures the maximum number of my allies will still be here next week. And they are hoping that by U-turning one team, they will that will be a team that they never have to see again. You should never U-turn a team that you think has any chance of surviving the leg. And they figured, what, who is the strongest team of the back of the pack that's not in my alliance? It's Leo and Alana. I don't think it had all that much to do with who they helped or didn't help in the previous leg. And I don't think it necessarily, I don't think they could necessarily sell the idea, oh, we were just so scared of you. We thought you had the chops to win the entire race. But they said, you know, this team is smart. This team is very strong. They have the potential to threaten our alliance and to actually give us a run for the money. And the other difference between this U-turn and previous U-turns that we've seen in the last few seasons is they finally put it in the right frickin' place. Mm-hmm. The U-turn Yay! is sitting. You have to do half of the U-turn so you know what the tasks are. Mm-hmm. Previously, if you had the U-turn up, you'd just be like, yeah, you have to do both the tasks. Don't care what they are. Now they can see, well, we know how much time that took. And we know that a team that has to do both of these tasks is going to be in very big danger of being eliminated. So from those standpoints, they could say that makes a lot of sense to you turn this team, get Leo and Alana out. And then our competition is gone. And this is the team that's most likely, you know, this is the team that's most likely to give us a run for the money. And the other thought that I had about this particular move is that it is very clear when they open that clue that there are only two U-turns on the entire leg. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. why, why save it for a rainy day? You have an alliance of five. Someone else can take care of your dirty work for you later on. Like, just use it now. And plus, you're a fan. You want to be able to do the thing. And that's okay, too. It's not a strategic move. But I didn't think this was just them doing it out of spite I thought it made a lot of sense in the moment and it was it was a good move. Was it a move that I personally would have made? I don't know that I would. If I'm in mm. first place, I just want to win the leg. I'm not going to be too concerned about it. I don't necessarily want that blood on my hands, mm. but I see why they did it and I understand it. I don't think it was a bad move at all. I think it it also doesn't help that they had limited information. I wonder if they had known how far behind Jerry and Frank mm-hmm. were if they would have done it, right? Because they wouldn't point, have bothered. Jess, you know, it would, it would have been like, well, there's a very good chance we're going to see Leo and Alana again, or they can just U-turn Jerry and Frank. Let's not do it. But remember, James, Will and James went out to like a resounding lead. There was a bit of a brouhaha around the, the shopping sorting. But after that, like they didn't really see that many teams. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, well, I don't know what's going on in the back of the pack. I'm assuming Leo and Alana are back there. Let's just U-turn them. Uh, and and see what happens. I, I I think they just did not expect Jerry and Frank to have to go all the way there, all the way back. And which to that point, and Leo and Alana have confirmed as much on Twitter as well that like, despite what editing showed us, Jerry and Frank were just so 
enormously behind yeah. everybody, including the W turn, that they were pretty much guaranteed to go home. Mm-hmm. Just my thinking when I saw the episode that I, I felt like that. Yeah, you know, I thought your rule on this was that if you are going to U turn somebody, you best make sure that you will not see them again. That's basically like uh, yeah. unless you have come, like the yeah, kill come for shot, the king, you best not miss. Yeah. So isn't this a misfire from Will and James in that they U-turned Leo and Alana and they are still in the race? Well, to to the point that Mike just made, all of the information in front of them suggested that a team that they U-turned would get knocked out. And there there was the possibility that another team could U-turn a third team to make sure that they didn't. But... It was also the first U-turn. Most people are not going to want to burn it off so early. There's a very good possibility only half of that U-turn gets used. Mm-hmm. Plus, again, they don't know that there's a team so far behind that it's not going to make a difference. They assume that everybody's making mistakes and everybody's kind of equally back there. They didn't know that one team made a mistake that was that much bigger than the other ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, and, and look, bottom line, no matter what you say, I am Team Good TV and this was fantastic TV. Yes, because it was. the best part of it all is that Leo and Alana survived. And granted, Leo and Alana are going to say, like, we're not going to ask them about it because they're just going to give us a BS answer. But you better believe this is going to come rearing its head again. And I, I to bring up what Jess brought up before. I am very surprised that there are only two U-turns on the race. Maybe it's because now with this institution of the yield, they feel like there needs to be, there doesn't need to be as many opportunities for teams to basically hamper other teams. Uh, but I'm just I feel like that's the least amount of U-turns we've had since the U-turn officially began back mm-hmm. in season 12. Usually it's at least three. Well, we'll that's a good point, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that when Leo and Alana uh, realized they were U-turned, they were like, oh, Will and James, why would they do this? They're so dumb. That was so dumb that they did that. But then when they were on the mat with Phil, uh, that they said that like, uh, yeah, they did it because they're smart. They, they were so they were they were very smart. That's why they that's why they did it. Well, I think it's, it's also like, it's, it's, which it's an emotional. Is it? I mean, it's an emotional versus logical response, though, mm-hmm. right? I mean, suffice it to say, Leo and Alana were very charged in a certain variety when they were told they had to go to the other side of the test. So I can imagine your knee-jerk response is, "You idiots! You big fat dummies! What are you doing? You turning us? You know we're going to come back." But I can imagine, especially when the idea that you're safe comes back in, you can sort of now realize, think about things from another perspective of. Okay, I still don't like the decision, but I could understand why they did it, mm-hmm. which, again, might result on... I mean, I think at first blush, you would say, well, there's going to be an opportunity now where should both teams make the second U-turn, Leo and Alana will exact revenge on Will and James. But who knows? May- maybe by the time that point comes, Leo and Alana understand where they were coming from and will just say, well, we'll watch our backs for them, but let's just keep racing our own race. Yeah, or Leo and Alana are in first place at that point, and they decide not to even bother, mm-hmm. which is also a possibility. Um, but, Mike, I think it's it's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. It's mm-hmm. not... You know, it's all the stages you go through, like the denial, like, I can't believe they did that to me. Why would they do that to me? That doesn't make any sense. And then the bargaining, like, we're going to get him back. I got to we're going to get through this leg. We're going to survive. We're going to get him back. Then you have the the anger, like those jerks and the depression. I can't do this task. It's too hard. And then finally, the acceptance. They were a smart team to U-turn us. Mm-hmm. I the by far the more surprising thing to me, because as I said before, from an editorial perspective, I totally expected uh, Will and James to U-turn Leo and Alana. I did not think whatsoever that Kaylin and Haley would U-turn 
Jerry and Frank. I thought Leo and Alana would do it. I was stunned that it was Kaylin and Haley being like, oh, great, we can pay him back right now. Let's do him a solid and you turn Jerry and Frank. Like, that is one of the most, like, ironclad representations of a, a, a quote-unquote alliance on the race I have seen in quite some time. And it's not to mention it's a moment paying off. We were kind of like, well, why did we see that? Why did they highlight yeah. that so much? I mean, granted, it did result in Kelly and LaVon getting eliminated, but... Yeah, why why did they hammer it home so much? Why did they flash back to it at the beginning of this episode? And now we know. And it was it was a really nice setup and then it was a nice payoff. Right, but now I wonder to that point because now I guess they're even in a manner of perspective. Uh, Leo and Alana have quote unquote saved Kaylin and Haley and vice versa. A debt are they is going paid. To, yeah, are they going <laughs> are they going to continue to work together? Or are they going to continue to be, you know, uh, ninja mode like the faceless men now mm-hmm. uh, working together to try to take down these other teams? Or are they Chewbacca to Leo and Alana's Han Solo? <laughs> just for, they have a life debt? It's a life debt. Wow. This deal uh, keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. Pray we don't Pray change do it any further. further. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we see Will and James. They are going to come in first place. Congratulations to Will and James. I thought that Phil had an interesting greeting for Will and James on the mat. Go, go, go. go. We're coming, Phil. Yes. Go, go, go. Yes. Can anybody say sweat? <laughs> maybe he's asking like how uh conscious they are like i know you've been you've walked you've done a lot of heat today uh, just for heat stroke purposes does can anyone say the word sweat can you spell your name it's like a sobriety test where you have to say the abcs backwards mm-hmm. yeah or like in in the um in last week's star trek discovery when he had to spell my partner got me out of a coma and all i got was this lousy t-shirt mm-hmm. exactly exactly so yeah it was an odd greeting from phil but yeah Interesting week for Will and James, because, again, I know there has been a lot of pushback from them online as to this big move that they made. It also probably doesn't help that these are two reality stars and they hear a Jeff Probst term in make a big move mm-hmm. in the clue and the, their sensors mm-hmm. go off. We know what Sierra Easton would have done, certainly. But it ends up being a good week for them. Despite the mistakes that they made, they wind up in third place. The only non hung and she team to place first in this race so far. Yeah. OK. Yeah, it was great. Just do you feel like the, is the amazing race adopting the you got to make uh, big moves ethos? Well, you know that the amazing race has sat in Survivor's shadow for 20 years. And it's like, we're a better show in a lot of ways. I don't understand why more people aren't watching us. Is it because people don't yell at each other and then they introduce some things that a team can throw a wrench into another team? Like, oh, is it alliances? Should we make them have alliances? And now they're thinking, well, you know, we've seen some success in the big moves era of Survivor. Maybe if we put a big move in there, people will understand that we are just as good as Survivor. And I think, think sometimes it's erroneous, but I get why they they feel slighted by the Survivor audience not responding to them in the same way. So with the yield and this, is this the big move season of The Amazing Race? I think it could be. We had we had the Amazing Race unfinished business. This could be the Amazing Race big moves. Hmm. I'm surprised we didn't get like some intro from Phil at the top of the season to start that off. You know, these teams are all known for making moves that are big. Sometimes when people make a move, it is a big move, and I I didn't see any of this. So, not since yeah, the we'll union see. of Harry and Meghan have we seen. <laughs> 
Such a move yeah. like this. Meghan Markle made a big move as she went from Canada to, to England and then went back to Canada. Another big move. <laughs> yes. Maybe is, is that the Amazing have... Race travel angle on this, Mike? That she's uh, Meghan Markle has gone around the world? Yeah, truly, she's the best Amazing Race contestant we've ever seen, and that she's able to make so many big moves in so many ways. Jess, do you think that is it possible? Is the Amazing Race courting Harry and Meghan for season 33? You know, that's that's a possibility. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, you would watch that. I would watch that. Mike would watch that. Yeah, let's I, I mean, mean, they, they, they have game. to, but... Release from the royal contract, as it were. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise that production for season 33 got shut down, because now this is a prime opportunity to be like... Look, one of our teams wasn't working out. Can we just have you guys come on and, and race in season 33 together? Mm-hmm. Leave Archie at home. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Celebrity Amazing Race. Like, I, I have this half cast in my head already. Yeah, who's on it? Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. Yeah, that'd be great. So are that. all of the celebrities duos? Yes, all the celebrities have a pre-existing relationship. Uh, you have really- the Hemsworth brothers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wait, with two, two out of the three Hemsworth brothers? Well... You know, I, I heard that third one. Yeah. He's not great television. Ah, you know, he's good on Westworld. <laughs> but I, now, I would love Penn and Teller if only if Teller gets stuck with the one where they have to memorize and recite a poem or a song. And now he just has to quit it and get the four hour penalty. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying this would be great television. Just, I, I think that Celebrity Amazing Race is not out of the realm of possibility. But I suspect it would be a lot of like uh, the time on Fear Factor when Beast Mode Cowboy's partner was his brother. <laughs> Like, I just think it's going to be a lot yeah. of like, okay, here's a moderately famous person and uh, somebody you never heard of. Well, we, we got yeah. a lot. We get on uh, season 26. We got one of the new kids on the block and his boyfriend. Yeah. A, yeah. A lot of Gary and D'Angelo's, I think. Yeah, it's true. It, it, it would be, you cannot really have, you can't realistically have Amazing Race um, celebrity edition because you would not get the quality of celebrities that you really want. It's the same with Celebrity Big Brother. Well, plus I would also imagine uh, and how dare you, dare you besmirch aforementioned Kato Kalin uh, when it comes to Celebrity Big Brother, but I could imagine... <laughs> what, that who would his actually, partner be, Mike? Tom Green, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, maybe one of his other partners is known for running once upon a time, so it might have a more advantageous <laughs> Another running back, yeah. Yeah, maybe just don't give him a machete. I don't know. <laughs> no. I, I watched that chase scene. It didn't go very fast. I'm not confident. <laughs> but I think that the, it's a natural Michelle and Victoria element built You right? also is somebody with one glove, Mike. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what happened. I bought the one glove. It's not fitting. It's two gloves, OJ. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I think that there'd be a natural dynamic in there, though, right? Of like you've lived in the shadow of your brother, who's the more famous person. Like you have something to prove on this race. Don't don't spill the juice. Oh, don't no, spill the juice. juice. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Also, no. another person who's not allowed to have a knife, like Michelle. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I was actually you know what I was saying. I want to see Kato Kalin and Judge Ito race together. <laughs> Boy, you know I. I never know what to expect coming into this podcast, <laughs> but I certainly low on my list of things I did not expect. Well, Kato, OJ jokes. Well, Kato Kalen has proved himself to be just basically the leg three version of television and just being absolutely messy TV that is nonstop mile a minute. And so I could imagine him on The Amazing Race and be very akin to like, all right, what do we got to do? All right, I need to get them the Mercado and get them uh, the machete. All right, give me the, these, these orange peelings. I'm going to get the orange peelings. Wait, I need to use them later. Oh, <laughs> yes. Highly he caffeinated. Would, he would forget. He would forget each each item individually and have to like run it to the judge and run back and get another item he'd do it yeah, one the, at a time the roadblock's gonna be have you ever taken an acting lesson <laughs> jeez all right um all right i don't know where to pick things up uh from there 
<laughs> just did you feel like there was any hope for uh, Frank and Jerry? Um, once they got U-turned, yeah, that was not. it. That was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and that's and that's the unfortunate downside of a double U-turn in particular is that it is more fair to the teams at large because it's not just one team being screwed over. There's a chance that that team can be like, well, we're still ahead of another one, so let's like just secure the back of the pack. But it doesn't make for the most dramatic ending when it's pretty much like. Yeah, let's continue to kneecap the team that is basically out of kneecaps at this point. Yeah, yeah it's really it, it's really just like punching down at that point. But I think that also speaks to the one other thing that they have not corrected in the leg design that they need to think about. And that is stop putting the twists at the end of the leg right before the pit stop. Mm. Give them another task that everybody has to do. So you're like throwing, a, you know, you're throwing the Mario Kart turtle shell at them, but they can still catch up to you. Mm-hmm. And if it's a task that is not playing to the strengths of the people that just deployed the U-turn, there's still a chance that the team that just got U-turn could pass pass up somebody. Right. Right. That was our, our thoughts with the head to head. Right. Is that yes, like when, exactly. you put, when you put it right before the pit stop, it might make for an exciting 1v1 matchup but with nothing to have the last place team be able to catch up with then it's a foregone conclusion yeah like what if the yield was right before the pit stop and you're like running and running and running and there's a team behind you and you're in second to last place and you're just like oh yep yielding that's boring that's not exciting television Mm -hmm. yeah uh, very good point about uh designing these legs how about with uh, going back to uh, Michelle and Victoria? How about this when they could not find the clue? And I thought at first, like, oh, they lost their clue. No, it wasn't that they lost their clue. They did not they look, just didn't look in the bucket, in the bass to get to get the clue. And I thought it was a very shady Chiron from the Amazing Race. Uh, that after they looked all over, the Amazing Race tells us thirty-four minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very specific. Um, but I also love the montage. They use the the fades like you do when you were in the desert and like to show like, my God, it's so hot. But now they've been wandering and they can't find it. You see them going Can around. Anybody like, say sweat? Exactly. They're going around like the barn that I think is right next to the U-turn board. They finally find it. But I mean, I, I'm was I was happy to get a pop of Michelle and Victoria because I was nervous that they that we didn't see too much of them last week after a coming out party in oh. like one. But as much fun as this was, mm. this was not Michelle a great way. Michelle coming for Mike. <laughs> Hope OJ didn't get him. Oh, no. Hold on. <laughs> Yikes. Um, well, I can pick that up. I, it's well, the let's same get, here, Let's get, let's get yeah. this. Out. We're not live. Oh, here he let's comes. Give, yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm back. Yes. Yeah, so sorry. Here, take it. Just, uh, just take it again. Whatever you're going to start yeah. saying. So... I was happy to see a little bit of pop of Michelle and Victoria because I was nervous. You know, they had a big coming out party in leg one and then they were kind of invisible last week. I guess it's sort of like, uh, I don't know if you want to pop for the right reasons uh, because they had, again, you know, they came in third to last, but they would have been in second to last were it not for this U-turn. It was, they were dancing with danger here and it did not help. They spent 34 minutes looking for a clue that was 45 degrees (laughs) down from where they were currently standing. Well, I love that they used the same editing technique that they used when they met Wolfgang Puck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the time they're they're a fan of the time lapse, the Michelle and Victoria editors. Yeah. Okay. So lots of fun with uh, Michelle and Victoria. They're bring they're bringing a lot to the season so far. 
a lot of a lot yeah. of spice even though they were not able to put that in their bowl of juice yeah and then uh leo and alana they were definitely struggling alana especially was having like a little bit of a meltdown just trying to put the wall slash roof together <laughs> it was a lot it was a lot it was a lot. Uh, Leo was there to be the person who was going to be that uh, in every couple, if one person's upset, the other person uh, needs to not be upset. Good it's lesson. true. I mean, yes. this, this is great. I mean, you could now sort of see the trajectory of their relationship to how they went from going on to the Amazing Race, having only met on Tinder less than a year ago to now married. It's like, OK, now I can see how cogent this relationship is, is because like Leo and Alana have very firm heads on their shoulders as to this relationship. I will say Alana uh, has drawn Mary, many comparisons to Gabby Pascuzzi when it comes to looks. Does not help that both have been seen uh, breaking down during a CBS reality show. That comparison is unfortunately holding through three weeks of The Amazing Race. Yes, yeah, she was so tired. I just wanted let her sleep. Let her go to sleep. Give everybody a blankie. That's what I'm saying. But it's funny, Mike. We... The headline on The Amazing Race is always like, which of these people that are going on the show are going to break up because of being on the show? Like, whose relationship's going to get ruined? And we never talk about whose relationship's going to be solidified by their yeah. experience here and who's, who's going to grow gonna closer. Who's going to be our requisite couple that proposes on the mat, for example? Oh. Yeah. Like, Could maybe that's coming. We might get that this season. Mm. So maybe okay. it was just a two-year engagement instead of a two-year courting period into an engagement. Mm-hmm. Look, man. There's nothing wrong with being engaged for two years. That's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. All right. Mike, ultimately, we're going to see Jerry and Frank eliminated from the Amazing Race. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Like you said, and I even talked about this last week, I would say from a personality perspective, they were not as eye popping as I would say, I think, any of the uh, eight teams that are left. Uh, They just seem like very pleasant guys they clearly we we got a lot from them in these three weeks about why they wanted to go on to the show to help each other's relationship that being said i had a really great time talking with them i'm sure you did as well jerry in particular like he has that coach energy to him and not of the brazilian variety uh but they were uh, in the, brazil exactly uh and he's not walking up any sand dudes with dragon canes anytime soon uh, but I, I think that you know he definitely has that motivational quiet and we even saw in this episode when frank is like angrily you know, banging on the boat about missing the bags. And Jerry's like, let's just calm down, put our heads down and keep working through. And I will say, you know, as someone who is the father of, of a young boy, I'm still in the schmaltzy mode of like, anytime I see genuinely meaningful father son interactions on television, it mm-hmm. makes me a little, a little, uh, you know, uh, it, it makes me fetch a little bit. Uh, and so getting to, to watch this and see how much Jerry and Frank loved each other genuinely was like, it was, it was really nice to watch. Was it the most uh, messy, entertaining television no but was it pleasant i would definitely say so yeah i mean there's there wasn't a lot of conflict there they, they did not fight intra-team and they did not fight uh inter-team uh they just mostly got along with each other they got along with everybody else that they came across in the race yeah, yeah robert are you are you happy that frank is now out so that this is not invoke your son to keep calling you frank? oh i mean he it was not inspired by jerry and frank <laughs> but it didn't help that there was a frank on screen every week too as a reminder <laughs> Yes, as a reminder. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get a, like, don't eat my candy, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the slogan for bitch boss juice, the Jordan Peele? Mm -hmm. Peele Yeah, don't touch the candy, Frank. (laughs) It's not for you. (laughs) 
Get your own candy, Frank. All right. Uh, Jess, anything else about uh, episode three of The Amazing Race? Um, I think... I don't think so. I think we covered everything that I had in my notes. It was a really fun episode. It was solid. I think the end was kind of a non-starter, but it mm-hmm. was... We saw so many people screwing up in so many fun and interesting ways that it was really kind of peak amazing race. Yeah. Okay. And next week, we uh, apparently have a double episode yeah. on the book. So there's going to be, I think it was announced, or at least Futon Critic uh, seemed to list that there are going to be two double episodes this season, which should prime us to have 10 weeks and probably finish around mid-December. I would imagine... One of them, I think, is going to be non-eliminations. Probably the first part, right? I mean, that, yeah. that would be the classic episode four oh, non-elimination. I don't, I don't know, though, because, I mean, if you look at Amazing Race 29, for example, we had that weird double episode where it was uh, Shamar and his partner going in the first half, and then the second half was, like, the to-be-continued with the trolls in Norway. So, you know, yeah. the, the show does not get to choose which are double-length episodes, so they might have just taken two random legs and smashed them together, but I do think... I, if I if I you know uh, had my betting in, one of them would be non-elimination, and one will be an eliminated team next week. Okay, all right, we'll see uh, to our episode coming up uh, next week with no more Big Brother. Yes, taking the eight o'clock slot back, so you know you don't need to stay up one hour later to watch the Amazing Race, just in time for there to be a two-hour episode to fill that eight to ten block. Yeah, and plus the clocks are moving back. It's just like there we've we've got another hour that we could just fill it with Amazing Race. It's really perfect, and they're going to Paraguay, and it looks like we are getting a rehash of a classic Amazing Race task that made a lot of people very angry when it first aired. Yes, Uh, can you tease it a little bit more? Um, there's a big stack of watermelons and uh, I think every uh-oh, good uh-oh. Amazing Race task. Yep. Yes. Every classic Amazing Race moment apparently revolves around a watermelon, watermelon, but I don't know if that task was actually that good or if it was just the personalities doing that task that made it good. But the, like every single person in season 20 who liked to scream about things had catastrophic watermelon failure and lost their minds. So mm-hmm. let's... Let's hope we get some more of the same. It's interesting we're staying. I mean, I would assume I don't know if we're going to stay in South America for both legs, but it is interesting to me that sans the start in Trinidad and Tobago, we've been South American for the good majority of the race here. Hmm. You think that's a budget issue? Could be a budget issue. We've seen this a lot, you know, with like, hey, let's go to three countries in Europe, just sort of traveling across. But my my hope, I'm not spoiled, so I have no idea. I know that they're in the future they're going to go to Europe and India. I think they're going to Kazakhstan as well. I think the question is, when are they going to go continent hopping? And it might be as soon as next week. Okay. All right. We will see. Of course, we still have the Tar Pits to come. Our interview with Jerry and Frank, plus plenty more fun and games uh, along the way. You can email that show, amazingrace at robhasawebsite.com. We'll be back uh, this weekend with our second half of our weekly Amazing Race coverage here on Rob Has a Podcast. You can subscribe to our Amazing Race podcast feed at robhasawebsite.com slash T-A-R podcast. All right, Jess, what's coming up for you? Um, well, the very next thing for me is um, this gentleman right here, Mike Bloom, and I are going to be talking about Star Trek. We got Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3 to break down for you. How is and the new then, disco season? I think it's fun. It's very yeah. Star Wars-y. Ooh. That's been our take on it. And it's almost a hard reset on the series. I feel like you could you could just skip all of Season 2, jump right into Season 3, and not feel like you lost too much ground. Mm-hmm. 
Did you see, Jess, on Sunday night also that the CBS Sunday night movie is going to be Star Trek... Uh, what I don't even know what it's called. The third, the third J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek uh, reboot. Oh. The one, huh. the, you know, I, n- I never saw that one. The one with should... the one with the woman uh, Idris Elba. Yeah, Idris Elba. It? And then mm. and then there's an alien that looks like Abby Maria. Oh, speaking that, of Brazil, yes. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm, I might have to actually check that out. Yeah. Um, well, and it segues into Star Trek Month, which I think Amazon is partnering with the greater Star Trek universe to make the entire month of November Star Trek Month. So if you're into Trek, uh, we're, we're going to be kicking off, I guess, uh, coverage of Star Trek Month into Star Trek Discovery on Pusher Recaps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this was the... Uh, what was the Star Trek movie? Uh, okay, here, Mike, you start your stuff up. I'll figure it out by the end of your... Uh, Star Trek I, Into Darkness. Is, okay. Uh, well, no, Star I was Trek, trying to Star call Trek it, Into uh, Darkness, though, was the one with Benedict Oh, Star Trek Beyond. Uh, See, yeah, I, I kept thinking it was Star Trek World Beyond. Don't even and get I'm me like, started no, that's totally on different. Star, uh, Star Trek reboot J.J. Abrams movies. What, what a bunch of garbage. <laughs> Who wanted that? Who wanted it? Listen, you know, the 2009 one was fun. I enjoyed the 2009 one. Sure, sure. I didn't Star like Trek being told Beyond. that... I didn't like being told that their their villain is not going to be Khan and then like, surprise, it is Khan. Like, come on, J.J. Abrams. You're mm-hmm. better at twists than that. I don't know. Have you seen episode nine? <laughs> <laughs> yes. OK. All right. Uh, Mike, what's coming up for you? Well, Jess has a uh, Jess. Do you have any more stuff you want to plug? Um. Well, there's also Fear of the Walking Dead World oh, yes. Beyond. Yes. That that we Star usually Trek record. Beyond. Yeah. Yes, it's it's a very different creature. Um, it's not Star Trek World Beyond either, which is what I thought the third Star Trek movie was called. But Josh Wiggler and I do that over at Post Show Recaps, and it is also very fun. Mm-hmm. And we do not take it seriously in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, so over on Post Show Recaps, for me, of course, Josh Wiggler and I are going down the hatch. The man from Tallahassee, the infamous episode of How Did John Locke Get in That Wheelchair? Uh, as we see. Oh, the- Mike, is that is that Dad in a Box? Uh, it's the end ends with the magic box. Yes. Uh, yes. Which I'm assuming Dad contains, in, in addition to Anthony Cooper, lots of groceries, maybe a machete or two as well. So be sure to check that. We went almost three hours on it. A really meaty episode <laughs> of Down the Hatch. Of course, Liana Boris and I are finishing up our coverage of Big Brother 22, which has recently ended. We're going to be doing one final B&B and I'll be doing exit press or parade as well. In addition to my stuff with Jerry and Frank that I have already <laughs> up, as Rob has said. Yes. Okay uh fun stuff and speaking of jerry and frank uh we're gonna have the special uh talking with t-bird later on uh this week jerry manthe uh will join uh me the titular frank of uh robin's <laughs> podcast on uh, the latest talking with t-bird look for that this weekend as well rob if you haven't purchased frank has a podcast.com and redirected it to your website i yeah. suggest you do that right uh, I don't away know yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if i want fahap as an acronym <laughs> yes <laughs> We'll skip that for now. All right. Of course, uh, all this podcasting is made possible by the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast. Head on over to robhaswebsite.com slash patron for more information. We're going to have uh, Patron 5 for 5, our monthly patron cast uh, coming as well here at the end of the month of October. And uh, at the end of the month, I always recommend the way to go is with the annual membership uh, where you pay for 11 months and get 12 at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with the Tar Pits this weekend. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.